Well, today we are diving in. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Today we're diving into Job, and uh, it's good to get laughter, and it's good to have joy, uh, because Job is unfortunately the exact opposite of that book, right? Um, we we are not going to be spending a lot of time thinking about joyful things as much as um, godly things during this time. And so um, as we are, joy is a godly thing, but at the same time, we're going to be looking at the other side of that. We're going to be looking at pain and suffering. And it's hard. The, The problem with pain and suffering is that all of us have to go through it. Whether we want to or not, that's going to be a reality of life. Earlier this week, I, I heard a podcast from uh, Elisa Childers, and she was interviewing the lead singer of Skillet, John Cooper. And he shared something that I didn't know about his life. I don't know how many of you are Skillet fans. How many of you are Skillet fans? Raise your hand. Woohoo! Lots of Skillet fans. Love you guys. That's awesome. Maybe you didn't knew this, but I didn't know this. John's, John Cooper's mother passed away when he was 14 years old. How many of you knew that? few of you guys did. I did not, actually. That was news to me. And it was interesting to me to hear his recount of his, his mother's passing away and him telling his mom, or his mom telling him, excuse me, you know, if, if this disease, if this sickness ends in death, you can't blame God for this. And he would go on in the interview and, and talk about that he's always been a person who has had a very strong faith. He's never, once he gave his life to Christ at five years old, he's never really looked back. For him, it was never a time of, of doubt or worry or, or things like even his mother's death throwing him. And yet at the same time, if you go and look at the testimony of many of those who are professing atheists, who are most ardent atheists, many of them came from a Christian background. And that Christian background would include some sort of tragedy. They prayed for somebody that they cared about, and they weren't healed. They were hoping that God would take away a certain temptation or, or a problem with that, uh, that that was hindering their walk with Jesus, and, and God didn't deliver them from that. And because of those unanswered prayers or that modicum of suffering that they went through, they decided that God didn't exist. And I think what we have in these two instances is kind of like what we've been reading in the first couple of chapters of Job. How many of you did your reading this week? First three chapters of Job. So awesome to see you guys do that because what we're looking at, and as Mark set up last week, is the crucible of pain that Job and and many others go through. So what happened to Job? Well, Job And God has this wager, if you will. It's not much of a wager. It's God saying, consider my servant Job. And Satan has come by and say, well, he only blesses you. He only only worships you. He only follows you because you've blessed him. Take his blessing away. He'll curse you to your face. And God says he's in your hands. You must spare his life. And so he does.
just waiting for that to go away. All right, there we go. Um, so it takes away all of his sheep and all of his servants are killed except for one who comes and gives him word that he's the only one who escapes. All of his cattle, all of his camels are, are taken away except one of his servants are, comes forward and says, I'm the only one who's escaped. He says, your children were in, one, in your oldest uh, son's house and a great wind came down, the four walls came down on them and they perished and I'm the only one to escape to tell you about it. And we see that this problem of pain and suffering has hit Job head on. And it's very hard for him. And so what we have is this. And then on top of that, we see that after that he praises God. God is given. God is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Right? I'm not sure we would have quite the same reaction under those circumstances. Satan shows up to God again and says, you know what? Skin for skin. He still has his health. Take that away from him too. And painful boils are around his body where they take pottery. He's taking broken pieces of pottery and just scraping the boils to try and get some relief. In this, we see a little passage from Job's wife. Satan has not killed Job's wife. As a matter of fact, I'm sure that there are many who think that Satan has left Job's wife alive because she's better to him alive than dead. And I think that that's a wrong way to read it. I think it's a grace that his wife is still there. Despite the fact that we read in Job chapter 2 and verse 9 when his wife says to him after he's taken all of this, are you still talking like, uh, excuse me, his wife said to him, are you still holding on to your dignity? Curse God and die. Because the, the problem with this idea that somehow his wife isn't a comfort to him is, is not realizing that his wife's had to go through the same thing too. See, I think sometimes when we read Job, we put the wife in some sort of different category, right? She's one of the agitators that Satan's using. This woman's also lost all of her children. This woman's also lost her livelihood. All of the riches that are there. And her husband is now covered in boils. And mothers and fathers... One of your kids were hurting. Wouldn't you take their place in a heartbeat? It's probably as big of a problem for her that her husband is suffering. And maybe even more so than her having that disease herself. She gets a bad rap. Like a really bad rap in Job. She's just reached her end. I'm not saying that what she says is right here. But she kind of falls on this idea right over here with the atheists, right? This idea that, uh, because things are so bad, I'm just going to give up on God. But she's lost all of her kids. She's lost her livelihood. Her husband's lost her health. And all of this has happened in a very short period of time. And it's not that Job is untouched by this either. 
If we read in chapter 3, we're going to read the whole thing together, that this is Job in his crucible of pain. Starting in verse 1. After this, after all of this had happened, three friends come and they're sitting with him. They see his suffering. They suffered for seven days. They're quiet around him. And then after seven days, Job finally speaks. After all of this has happened to him, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And he said, may the day of my birth perish and the night that it was said a boy is born. That day, may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine upon it. May darkness and deep shadow claim it once more. And may a cloud settle over it. May blackness overwhelm its light. That night, may thick darkness seize it. May it not be included among the days of the year, nor be entered in any of the months. May that night be barren. May no shout of joy be heard in it. May those who curse days curse that day. Those who are ready to rouse Leviathan. May its morning stars become dark. May it wait for daylight in vain and not see the first days of dawn. For it did not shut the doors of the womb on me to hide trouble from my eyes. Why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? Why were there knees to receive me and breasts that I might be nursed? For now I'd be lying down in peace. I'd be asleep and at rest with kings and counselors of the earth who built for themselves places now lying in ruins, with rulers who had gold who filled their houses with silver. Or why was I not hidden in the ground like a stillborn child, like an infant who never saw the light of day? There the wicked cease from turmoil. There the weary are at rest. Captives also enjoy their ease. They no longer hear the slave drivers shout. The small and the great are there, and the slave is freed from his master. Why is light given to those in misery and life to the bitter of soul? To those who long for death that does not come, who search for it more than hidden treasure, who are filled with gladness and rejoice when they reach the grave. Why is life given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? For sign comes to me instead of food. My groans pour out like water. What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. That's the heart's cry of somebody in the crucible of pain. That's, that's really what it feels like. And some of you have felt that. Some of you have gone through that. Some of you have had loved ones whom you deeply cared about that God has taken away from you. Some of you have gone through times that you thought would never, ever end of pain and suffering. Job is praising God on the one end, but on the other end, he is totally shattered as a human being. And we see that in the scripture, so much so that it's hard to breathe. And those of you who have been in the pains of losing somebody or in the pains of a constant hurt that just doesn't go away, you wake up the next day and that ache is still there. This is what Job is dealing with. 
And we see in Job and we see in his wife, I believe, two different ways in which we can handle or look at suffering. Because I think it's very important that as believers in Christ, we understand one thing, and one thing for sure, suffering is going to happen in this world. If you do not have a theology of suffering that is based in the truth of the Word of God and the reality of the world in which we live, when that suffering comes, not if, it's going to be very easy to blame God and lose faith. Job's wife is on the precipice of that. Job 2 verse 9, reading it again, his wife said to him, are you still holding on to integrity? Curse God and die. She's on the other side of this equation. She's leaning over the edge of not trusting God. The beauty of it is, verse 10, Job replies, You're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Brings her back gently. Shocks her, but brings her back gently. Need to come back to God. Shall we not accept good? We've been blessed this entire time. Shall we not accept good and not trouble? See, the problem with suffering is that we think we can avoid it. We think we can. We have lived in a blessed nation. And what we try to do in our lives in general is to try and avoid suffering at all costs. And the great blessing that we have in our nation gives us the ability to hide ourselves from those places of trouble and pain and hurt. I like Disney World. How many of you like Disney World? I love Disney World. Some of you are like, no, I'm a Universal Studios person myself, right? Rather go to Six Flags or something like that. Whatever places that you truly enjoy going, those things are here. We are so blessed to have those things. Back 10 years ago, I was able to go to Disney World with my wife without my kids, Love my kids, and I'd love them going with me. They went the next year, but I wanted some time with my wife. And we went to Disney World by choice. It was great. And we have such joys in this place. And oftentimes what we try to do is we try to hide the trouble that equally exists. I'm going to share some very uncomfortable truths that have to be a part of our theology of suffering, because if it's not a part of our theology of suffering, number one, we're fooling ourselves. Number two, if we're fooling ourselves, we are going to get the idea that somehow we can blame God that this is going to happen when God told us ahead of time, this was never promised. This whole idea that everything's hunky-dory and you're going to have everything that you ever wanted is not something that you can find in the Bible anywhere. John chapter 16, verse 33, says this, 
Jesus talking about his death and talking about his coming again. And he says, I have told you these things that in me you have, may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. That you might have peace, but that peace doesn't come without trouble, right? There's nothing in the Bible that says you are free from trouble, you are free from suffering, you are free from pain. Nothing. If you become a believer in Jesus Christ. Not one. As a matter of fact, if we look in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17... It says this, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. This world may seem like it has a lot to offer you, but it really doesn't. Jesus says we're going to have trouble in this world. As a matter of fact, not only are we going to have trouble in this world, many of you have already dealt with some of that trouble. You and I are not guaranteed riches on this earth. As a matter of fact, the bar for riches in the Bible is very low. First Timothy chapter 6. If we have clothes on our back, we have food in our belly, we will be content. If you had clothes on your back and food on your, in your belly, not on your belly. <laughs> if you had clothes on your back and food in your belly right now, and that's all you had, how would you really feel? Blessed? Content? Chances are you'd feel struggling. Why, God? Why is this so hard right now? I have no place to stay right now. No place to lay my head down. I have nothing. I have less than nothing. Though the Word of God says you have all that you need to be content with those two things, I guarantee you, you and I, because we have lived in this very prosperous time where I doubt we might be able to find one, maybe two people in this congregation who can say, I've been without one of those two things at some point in my life. I haven't. And yet I walk around sometimes when things are not quite the way that I want them to be. Saying, oh, woe is me. It's happened this week. How about you? Because our theology of suffering isn't lining up with biblical truth, right? Our theology of suffering says that I should have the American dream. We weren't promised the American dream in the Bible. Not you, not me, not anybody. I'm not against the American dream. It's a great ideal. But when I read what Jesus promised me, it wasn't that. 
but I think sometimes we've replaced, right? The blessing of God that he promises with the blessing of the American dream that our culture promises or that we've envisioned in our head. And anything less than that is suffering to us. And yet, it wholly keeps us unprepared for the real suffering that's going to happen to every single one of you the longer you live, period. I have been blessed to be married to my wife for 26 years. I've been around her for nearly 30. It's crazy. Those numbers just seem weird to me, okay? I was married at 22, and I'm saying numbers that were bigger than me at 22 years old, talking about our marriage and how much time we spent together. I can't imagine life without her. And yet, one day, someday, unless we die together, she will die or I will die. I've been praying to God that she dies first. Not for selfish reasons. <laughs> Those of you are like, <laughs> you just want her to go. No, I... <laughs> My wife is legally blind. I want to make sure she's cared for until such day that she goes into the arms of Jesus. I want to be the one to take care of her and fulfill my promise to her until the day that she dies. And if God grants me that wish and that prayer, I'll be very happy and sad at the same time. Someday, either I have to say goodbye to her, and I don't know how, or she's going to have to say goodbye to me. Someday. And I don't care who you're married to or how long you've been married. I'm looking at Christian and Tessa back there. I'm looking at my daughter Tori who's planning on getting married and Jamie and Noah over here. No guarantee. No guarantee. No guarantee you even make it to that day. No guarantee you make five years. I know, this is such an uplifting thing, right? (laughs) What happened at church day? My pastor killed everybody, you know, so. (laughs) And we, we could joke about it, and I'm glad we can laugh. But if our theology of suffering doesn't include the reality of what is going to happen, inevitably, unless Jesus comes back, Before that time takes place, the possibility of true suffering, every single one of us is going to experience. Every one of us. Some of you parents might see a child die before you die. I don't say that. I don't say that in glory or jest or anything. But it's a reality. Some of you are going to lose parents and grandparents at a time that's sooner than you had hoped, liked, or were prepared for. My dad is 25 years older than I am, so he's turning 75 this year, so he's 74. I have to do the math in my head. Um, And someday, he's not going to be there anymore. More likely than not, He will pass before I will. 
Might happen the other way around. I don't know. And I'm not looking forward to that idea. I talk to my dad about once a week. I told you guys that last time I was up here. About once a week, we call one another. We talk to each other. Can't, can't imagine on the one end not hearing his voice on the other end. And on the other side of that, I know that that is the reality. At some point in time, I will have to face that. And it'll be sooner than I want, even if it's 20 years from now. And I can pray, and I can wish, and I can hope that this sickness at this disease, at this old age, at this time, won't cause the suffering. But the truth of the matter is, suffering in a very real way is a gift for us to remember that this world is not our home. The idea that we want this world to live forever, messed up as it is, full of trouble and hurt, and pain and suffering. See, the reason Jesus came and died on the cross for you and me was that he could experience death once and for all. The godly for the ungodly. That ungodly is us. Because what you don't realize is everything that you experience here whether it is natural evil, which would be just natural death and the disasters that you see, or the suffering caused by man on man, is all caused by the same symptom of sin that entered into this world and caused death. The suffering that we have is a result of sin. Jesus' death on the cross was to taste sin for us so that he could taste death for us and pay the penalty and show that he was greater than death itself. Three days later he rose. John fourteen six. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back to take you to where I am. Not here. Not in this sin-soaked world full of trouble that Jesus never promised his followers would ever leave. You don't get that. I don't get that. We're going to be dealing with sickness and death and suffering. The disciples did the same thing. Eleven of the twelve, from what we understand, died a martyr's death. The other one died in prison. seem fair only if this world is all you have to hold on to does it seem unfair they had something greater that they were looking for an inheritance that wouldn't spoil rot or fade kept for you in heaven by Jesus Christ but it doesn't mean that you and I aren't going to go through that suffering here and that suffering is a great double edged blessing it puts us in a position like Job where we feel the heartache of those who leave us behind and reminds us that this isn't our home. Revelation 21.4 We read this oftentimes in funerals. 
But it should be a reminder to every single one of us that we have something more to look forward to. That if we're worried about sorrow in this place, you know, it doesn't matter. If you're, if you're a Christian or you're an atheist, you can't get past this problem of suffering. The difference for the Christian is it's dealt with on the cross. For the atheist, there's nothing there to deal with it. It makes life a mockery and meaningless. Revelation 21.4, and he... Jesus will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. That reality isn't here yet. That reality is promised by the resurrection of Jesus on the cross, from the cross, from the grave. Because we're still experiencing mourning and crying and pain and death, are we not? And we will until He comes. And when He comes, He shall make all things new. And that will end the suffering that sin has brought into this world. Sin that suffering that is unavoidable. I don't care if you're a believer or you're not a believer in Christ. It's unavoidable. You're going to have to deal with it. And only in the Christian worldview do we have a true answer for that suffering. With Christ on the cross. But there's some things we ought to be doing. I said earlier, you know, we live... In a day and age in which we try to mitigate suffering as much as possible. We don't like to be in uncomfortable places. As a matter of fact, we try to shield our children from uncomfortable things. We just do. We think we're being good parents. And I'm not trying to diss any parenting out there that's trying to do that. I'm just saying our culture says that suffering is a bad thing. But it's not in the sense that it's a reality of which we live. And suffering, understood rightly, draws us closer to God and understands what He's really given us in Christ. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 1 through 4. A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. It's better to go into a house of mourning than go into a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of every man, and the living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. Parents, I want to tell you this, as much as I hate to tell you this, your kids need to see suffering so they can understand the hope that we really have in Christ. People who are sick, people who are dying, funerals, don't want to take our kids to a funeral because it's such a sad place. Yes, it is because suffering is a part of this life that every single one of us will have to experience. We're going to experience it personally and we're going to feel the heartache of loss 
as a result of suffering. What Job said is going to be part of our experience. It's going to hurt. It's going to heave. It's going to, it's going to make us just have that pit in our stomach when we go to sleep. And when we wake up the next day, it's still going to be there. I remember that when my grandmother passed away. I feel that when I'm reading Job chapter 3 all over again. But you know what? I know with my grandmother, I had such great hope because my grandmother was one of the three people who witnessed to me about Jesus. I know where she is. First Thessalonians 4 tells us that we're not supposed to mourn like the world mourns because we have hope. And our hope is in that with Christ raised from the dead. That you and I someday, one day, will be filled with a reality without pain or mourning or suffering or death. That's all caused by sin. That was defeated on the cross because of Jesus' sacrifice for you and me. That's good news. That's good news amidst suffering that we're going to have to go through when we're here. And if your theology of suffering does not account for the fact that the Word of God is consistent, it never tells us that we're going to live such blessed lives. It tells us that the blessing of life is knowing Christ and knowing that He's prepared a place for us. We've been promised persecution. We've been promised troubles. Doesn't mean life is all trouble and persecution. But you can't find anything, Old Testament or new, no place where somehow knowing God makes all of that go away. It doesn't. Job is a godly man. And being a godly man did not save him from the suffering that all of us are going to have to experience. Maybe not to the same extent that he is. But some of you might. Is your God big enough to withstand that test? Only if you got this right. Only if the God you serve has truly conquered sin and death. Only if this life isn't all that there is. Only if he's giving you a mission and a purpose to live. Only then can you withstand those storms of suffering come through to the other side because Job doesn't take his life though he feels like it. Comes out on the other side spoiling the ending. God blesses him but he'll still have this suffering the rest of his life. He'll still have lost those children. That won't, that's not taken away. But the God he served was bigger than the situation he was put in. Same with you and me. Maybe you're going through a time of suffering. Seriously. Maybe right now is a really, really hard time for you, for your family, for whatever reason. Maybe it's had you to a point of maybe questioning the goodness of God. And wondering whether or not is he there? Does he care? If God is so good, why am I suffering? 
if God is so good, why am I going through this time? If God is so good, why did this person whom I cared about died, prayed for over and over and over again, that he might heal? God is so good that he sent his son to experience that same death for you and me. That he's not a God apart from it, but he's a God who's in the middle of it. Not just in the middle of it, but the only cure for it. And that suffering that we have right now, he's not only experienced, but is the only way out. And it's through Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. It's the hope that you have. It's not going to take away the hard time that you might be going through. But it's going to give you hope that this won't endure forever. God has a place for you. Has prepared a place for you. Cares for you. Loves you. And someday, one day, this suffering will all be over. It's already defeated. Already done. Someday, there's going to be a joy that never ends. And only those who believe in Christ get to partake in that. I pray that's every one of you. Do you stand with me? If you've questioned, you just need prayer because you're going through a hard time. Our elders are going to be up front. We, we want to pray for whatever needs, not just those, any of them. But specifically, if there's a hard thing you're going through, you need to be reminded of God's goodness. You just need somebody to pray with you, to remind you of the community of believers and the presence of Christ for you. God, we thank you for today. We thank you, dear Heavenly Father, that in your word and in the life of Job, you give us a realistic account of suffering. That we can teeter on two different places. One of that, that looks at all that we might have to suffer in this life and looks on it in, in unbelief. And God, I pray that would be none of us here, Lord. But in other way, when we encounter suffering that's inevitably going to come because of this fallen world, may it remind us that this world is not our home. May it remind us to cling to you all the more and the promise of Jesus that there's a place that you've prepared for us, that you're going to come back for us. And in that place, once you've come back, there will be no more suffering or mourning or pain or crying because the old order of things have passed away because you've defeated death. And that we'll rejoice forever with that. Until then, Lord, I just pray that you us to be a people who are acquainted with suffering, not afraid of it, not afraid to be associated with it, knowing that it, it reminds us of what you've conquered, of why this world is not our home, and why you're such a good God. I pray in the name of Jesus for any who are hurting today, Lord. I really do. That they're reminded that, that this pain is temporary. That you're there. That you've walked in with us, Lord. And that you're there with them in the midst of it. God, I pray to you, Heavenly Father, for those who are hurting and, and have those, those days where it just it's hard every day to get up right now. That they be reminded again and again of your goodness. 
of your grace, of your promises, that's not of this world, but of the one to come. And Lord, if any have not put their faith in you, in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I pray this day, Lord, that they would, they would recognize that the only place where suffering is truly conquered is on the cross. And that they would come to Christ and have the peace that you've promised. Not peace without trouble, but peace in spite of it. That overcomes it because Christ has overcome the world. God, I just pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you need prayer, please come forward and let us pray for you. If you're online and you need prayer, please uh, email us. Call us at the church office. We, we love you guys. And if you're going through something, grab somebody around you and, and just have them pray with you. You're not alone. Jesus is in the midst of it all. And we have something to look forward to through our suffering. That's life eternal with Jesus. God bless you. Go spread that hope to those who need it. In Jesus' name.